Amen. So, as Brother Kelby said, uh, this first part of John 14 is uh, pretty special to me. It actually, it's actually was my papa's favorite passage of Scripture. My papa was an was a itinerant preacher. It was my mom's favorite passage of Scripture. And it was the first passage of Scripture I ever memorized. So it's very important to me, and I want to, uh, to approach this with um, the thought that let's let the text speak. Let's let Jesus himself speak, for this is his word, and we know that we have to believe that the times that we hear the, the voice of God is when we read the scriptures. And if you want to hear it audibly, I love what uh, Justin Peter says, if you want to hear God speak to you audibly, then you need to read the Bible out loud. So, as Brother Kelby has stated a few times, uh, these are the last few hours of Jesus will spend with his disciples. Uh, these men that are close to him, that he's been with every day for three years. So let's listen to how he begins this extremely important time of talking to them. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God, John 14, 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Let us pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you for your inspired, infallible, inerrant word. We thank you that we can trust what it says. It is a reliable collection of historical documents written down in the lifetime of other of eyewitnesses by eyewitnesses. It testifies to supernatural events and it fulfills all prophecy. Help us to see it. Holy Spirit, be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path that we may understand all that you say through your word. And God, we will trust you. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. So, 
In order to get into this uh, powerful set of verses, I think we need to look at some important uh, truths and see these truths. We must understand, first of all, that the gospel of John, as well as every other book of Scripture, was written as a running narrative. There were no verses and chapter numbers as John was writing this. He wasn't versing it out. He wasn't chaptering it out. Those were added later to be a help to us, and I'm glad they did it, because it is a help to us. But that's not how John wrote it. Why is that important? I think because it helps us to make some important connections to some things to help us understand what's going on. I think sometimes when we take a chapter and a chapter, sometimes we stop thinking about the previous chapter because we're on the new chapter. We don't need to do that in this case because this is very important. Let's look at the first thing Jesus says as he's talking here. What's the very first thing he says? Let not your hearts be troubled. What was Jesus saying here? Well, if we look back at John 13, 21, Jesus himself says, or it says here that Jesus was troubled. Jesus himself was troubled. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then he tells them not to be. As if he was saying, I'm troubled, but don't be troubled. Why would they be troubled? That's why we don't need to stop from 13 to 14 and, and, and separate those things. Because it says, in 13, it gives us some specific reasons why they are troubled currently, at that moment. The first one is in John 13, 22. The betrayal of Christ by one of them. One of the guys that is sitting there is going to betray him. Verse 13, 22 says, The disciples looked to one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. They're troubled. Well, who's going to do it? What's going on? Secondly, they've just learned that Jesus is leaving. In, in John 13, 33, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going... You cannot come. He's leaving them. They're troubled by this, I'm sure. And then what he had just said, Peter, the rock, the spokesman, is going to deny Christ? Not once, but three times? As it says in 1338, Jesus answered, you will, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. These are heavy things that they have just had laid on their doorstep, right? They, they, are, they are troubled. That's why he says, let not your hearts be troubled, because he can look and see these guys are troubled. They desperately need to hear what he's about to say. He's leaving them in just a few hours, and he knows, I've got to leave them with these important things. And I believe that what he has to say to them are seven truths 
that should be put into practice in the church. So what are these seven truths for the church? Let's look at the text and find them. The first truth is that we must believe in Christ as God the Son. We must believe in Christ as God the Son. J.C. Ryle said, and I will have two J.C. Ryle quotes to make up for last week. Faith in the Lord Jesus is the only sure medicine for a troubled heart. For troubled hearts, there's only one medicine, and that's faith in Jesus. There's a very distinct connection also to Isaiah 26.3, where it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The peace of God only comes from a mind stayed on God himself. So we cannot diminish the urgency of his message to the disciples here. As you see, there are some very serious reasons for them to be troubled, and we cannot forget what is coming in a very short time. Even more troubling things. They will see him mocked, beaten, scourged, and crucified before them and die and be placed in a tomb. And yet, he says, believe in me. And in fact, it's a command. He doesn't give them the option. He says, you believe in God, believe in me. And this is a belief that's not just in him as a friend. You know, there's some people that we believe in as friends that we believe that they'll stick by us thick and thin, right? Yes, that, that's, that's a good thing to have. A good, it's good to have a good friend who you can count on. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're also not talking about just belief in him that he is the Messiah. Because there's a lot of people around the world that do believe that he's Messiah and they don't know him from Adam. He wants them to believe in him as God. Christ wanted them to have the same faith in him that they had in the Father in heaven. A faith in the God of all the universe. A God they had never seen. But now, they were seeing Emmanuel, God with us. They were seeing him face to face, and their faith needed to be in him no matter what other things look like in their lives. No matter how troubled. You see, he is God the Son. And we must believe in him as God the Son. The second truth that I want to get to is this. We are assured of new life and an eternal home. Now, in verse 2 and 3, I want to read this again to you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Beautiful words. I want to discuss one little small thing here. Mansion is used in some versions. And this is actually not the most accurate word to describe what Jesus is saying here. In fact, the most accurate word would be a suite. 
That's the good room, right? If you go to one of these fancy hotels on Priceline.com or whatever, and you get the suite, you get the amenities, right? So basically what Jesus is saying, to be more accurate, is I'm preparing a room for you, and it's going to be the best. It's going to be the best room. So let's move on. Let's get in our second J.C. Ryle quote, because I love how he describes this. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, a place which we shall find Christ himself has made ready for true Christians. He has, pre- he has prepared this place for us. Verse 3 is of, of, of extreme importance. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, which he says he's doing, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, I think we miss it now in, in, in church life a lot of times. Our greatest hope is the fact that Christ will return. And he will glorify us, and we will be with him forever in a place that he has prepared for us. That's our greatest hope. And, and the greatest idea of heaven is not streets of gold and pearly gates and mansions. Our greatest hope of heaven is that we will be with Jesus forever, never to leave. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4.18 tells us, encourage one another in this. We will be with him for all eternity, and we must live as a church assured of that fact. The third truth is this. We must know him. Now, in a marriage situation, it's not like the old days where the Farmer 1 and Farmer 2 decided, hey, y'all are going to get hitched. We're going to trade goats and all that stuff, and we're going to get married. And you didn't know the lady. Because, and guess what? When y'all are introduced, the first thing you better start doing is getting to know each other because you're going to live together forever, right? If I spent my whole life with my wife and never asked her anything about her, didn't know her at all, Do you think our marriage would be awesome? No. In fact, our marriage wouldn't last. We must know each other. We must know each other intimately. And now Christ wants us to know him. He says, the way I'm going, you know the way. How how did the disciples know the way? Because he had been telling them. They had been immersed in his teachings. We must know him, and it must be the great search of our lives to know Jesus Christ more each day. How can we know him better? There are several ways. We talked about it this morning in prayer meeting. Daily Bible reading. How do we know the God of the universe? By his revealed will of himself, which is... The Word of God. 
A second way, daily prayer. And I do encourage you, as we've been teaching in prayer meeting, pray the Bible. Take a psalm. Pray that thing. Why? Because not only are you praying to God, you're also hearing from Him through His Word. And then you can meditate upon those things. I'm telling you, prayer meeting, guys, it's the, it's the place to be. Y'all need to come. And also, becoming an active member of His church. We don't want to be just those who come and check the box. We want to be members. We want to be active. Why? Because we get to know Christ better by being with his people. And that's why we have the discipleship pathway. We are making disciples. We are maturing disciples. We are reproducing disciples. Because that is what God has called us to do in his word. And we can get to know Christ better by going on the path that he has set for us. Every day of our lives, we should pursue knowing our Savior more and more. The fourth truth is this. We must be a confessing church. Listen to verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a confession of who he is, made by Christ himself. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17, we see another very important confession. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's confession here is powerful. This is not just a, Oh, you're the Son of God. No, you understand. This is a confession that sitting before him is God incarnate in flesh right there, and he knows it. But listen to Christ's confession about himself. Not only is he the son of God, he is the way, the truth, and the life. We must never water down what we say about Christ. He's not just a good teacher. And he is definitely not our homeboy. He is the only son of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully God. So what do we confess? First of all, we confess the uniqueness of Christ. We confess this each time we corporately say the Apostles' Creed. Arlie Ray and I were talking about Christmas um, just the other day, and we began to talk about why it was essential to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And for those who don't know, it's because the prophecy says that he would be born of a virgin. So guess what? He had to be born of a virgin. If he wasn't born of a virgin, guess what? He's not the Son of God. But he was. 
And guess what she began saying? He was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And as he ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the, li- the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. My six-year-old said those things. We must confess the uniqueness of Christ. And listen to me. You will hear this phrase from me quite a lot. I know I say it a lot. We need to teach that to our children. Teach it to your children. Christ himself confesses his own uniqueness in verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way to God. He says clearly, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. People will call this exclusion. Well, that's that's exclusionary. That's not tolerant. And they might be right if we had come up with that ourselves. If we had come up with just deciding, you know what, Jesus is the only way. I've decided that. Gospel of Jason, verse 16. If I had decided that, yes, it's exclusionary. It's intolerant. But I didn't come up with that. It's not my opinion of Christ. Jesus Christ said that about himself. If the God of the universe says he's the only way to God, guess what? He's the only way to God. So, the other thing that we confess is that Christ is God. One of the earliest heresies to crop up in the early church was the Arian heresy. It stated that Jesus was not God, that he was a man uh, who was blessed by God. That's what it stated. And some would say that it doesn't matter what you believe about God and Jesus as long as you're sincere. But I believe, I heard an old, old guy tell me one time, you can be as sincere as you want, but you can be sincerely wrong. Listen, listen to me. We must believe Jesus is God. That's a, that's a running theme throughout this thing, right? We must believe Jesus is God. If not, we're still in our sins. And Jesus was a liar. And none of us should believe that. How else could he have taken the full wrath of God on the cross if he was not God himself? And what separates our God from the other gods and deities around the world? They're like, well, it's all about a path of redemption, all about a path of redemption. I said, but, but, but here's the difference, okay? Krishna didn't die to secure it. Buddha did not die to secure it. Muhammad did not die to secure salvation. Our God himself died to secure our salvation. That's the difference. He is God. The fifth truth is that we can only come to God through Christ. How do we know that? Because Jesus just literally said it. It is the message. It is the gospel. We only access God through Christ. It is only by grace, through faith in Christ alone that we are saved. Solus Christus, Christ alone. 
We can never work our way in. Why? Because we're lazy. We won't do all the work. We will shortcut. We will cut corners. Work smarter, not harder, right? We will do everything we can not to do all the work. And we are not good enough to get there. We will never attain it. And this is a hard truth, but we need to hear it. God will not just change his mind on judgment day. He's a very loving God. Absolutely loving. In fact, we, he is love. We define love by God. No other way. But he is serious about sin. How do we know how serious he is about sin? Well, let's, if we think about the song we sang this morning, he crushed his son because of sin to save us from it. He poured out his wrath on his son. So to reject his son and to stay in sin will not suddenly be pardoned at the end because it is treason against the one true loving God who made a way by being the way. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and we only get to God because of Christ. Six, the sixth truth I want to go to is maybe the most theological truth I'm going to cover besides the fact that Jesus is God. We serve a triune God. Jesus equates himself to the Father seven times in verses 7 through 11. Seven times. Now, if I was one of those numerologists who thinks that every number in, is, is significant, I would say, well, that's perfection, that's completion, right? Okay, but we're not going to do that because how can he do that? That's what we need to know. We don't need to know how many times he said it. We need to, how can he equate himself to the Father, the God of all the universe? There's no other man in history who said, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. There's no other man in history that said that. Why? Because they would have stoned him and killed him instantly for heresy and blasphemy. But he said it, and he talked about it seven times. How can he do this? Simply because we serve a triune God. Our God is one in essence and three in persons. God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If, you're, if your kid comes on uh, Wednesday night, they'll tell you that that's exactly true. You see, the Trinity has been co-equal and co-eternal throughout all time. There's never been a beginning. God did not make Jesus and the Holy Spirit at some point. They have forever existed together in perfect love and unity as one Godhead. How do we see that? Because Trinity ain't in the Bible. That's what we'll hear, right? Trinity ain't in the Bible. Well, there's a lot of things that ain't in the Bible, but they're true. As far as words. We see it throughout Scripture. To believe in any other way, listen to me, is to believe in the wrong God. Where's the greatest evidence for the Trinity in the scriptures. Right here. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then we connect that 
to a baptism that happened just a little while, about three years ago. When Jesus was being baptized and a voice was heard from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. One in essence, three in persons. The seventh truth is that we do not have a changing message or some new way to do things. Listen to me carefully. Does Jesus represent a change in how things were done? Yes. Did Jesus alter the message? No. He preached the message under the authority of the Father, the story of redemption that is the same from the beginning. God has always been calling a people to himself and saving throughout history. How do we know this? It begins in Genesis 3.15. How do we know that God saves and redeems? Well, because he didn't kill Adam and Eve instantly because of their sin. He killed an animal and gave them the skin. And he took them out and they lived and they had children. Or the fact that he didn't just wipe out all humanity and start over. He said, I'm going to save Noah and his family and two of each animal. Or, as there's this young man who's the son of an idol maker, and he says, Abram, leave this place, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And his name became Abraham. God is always calling a people unto himself and redeeming them. So the, 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 the story's never changed. The characters may have, but the story isn't. And the truth of the gospel is never going to change. God saves his own, And now, in Christ, we see the ultimate culmination of this. What is the ultimate culmination? Christ himself as the spotless lamb. Now, our our culture rejects this, okay? Our culture rejects it. Some call it cosmic child abuse that God would make his son die on a cross to save us. But if we listen, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. He wasn't committing cosmic child abuse. Jesus Christ was saving his people. Some would say that there are many ways to God. Well, Jesus has just told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And many just reject it altogether. This isn't new. This isn't some new thing that people are rejecting the gospel because in 1 Corinthians 1.18, in the very early stages of the church, it says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. They were rejecting it then. They're rejecting it now. Why? Because God is saving a people that are his. We don't change our message to appeal to the goats. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And a watered-down gospel will not save. So, with these truths, how can we apply this to our lives, right? How do do I make it part of my life? That's something that, that... as Brother Kelby and I prepare a sermon, we always are asking ourselves, how can our people apply this to their lives? Well, I've got three applications for you. The first is this. We see this truth clearly. You will face troubles. Believe in Christ. You will face troubles. 
believe in Christ. These men faced troubles in this moment. They, they were facing so many things. One of them would betray him. He was going to leave and they didn't know where he was going to go. He's going to die in front of them. And Jesus' message to them was believe in me. No matter what, they were about to see. Jesus wanted them to have faith and trust in him. These same men, listen to how they took, took this message from Christ about not letting their hearts be troubled about what's going on. This is how they took it. These same men were hunted, persecuted over the next years of their lives. Many of them were killed, all save one. And he died by himself on an island after being boiled in oil and having sores all over his body for the rest of his life. But none of them ever turned from Christ. All of them continued to preach the gospel and were killed for it. They believed. Listen, church. We are going to face trials. We are going to suffer. We will be sick. We will be poor. We will feel alone in our lives. Believe in Christ. Lean on Him. He cares for us. Cling to Him. He is our only hope. The second application I would have for you is this. Be comforted. Your citizenship is in heaven. I feel like we sometimes get caught up being American citizens or citizens of earth over being citizens of heaven. We see things going on all around us. All you got to do is turn on any news station and you'll see all the junk going on in this world. Really, honestly, all you got to do is watch any show or see a commercial and you'll see the junk that goes on in this world. And we lose hope. And we think electing this guy or that guy or this girl or that girl is going to change it. And get, don't get me wrong. I'm upset. I don't like it. And there's a lot to be upset about. But Paul, when he was writing to the Thessalonians to tell them to encourage themselves with the truth of a kingdom that's prepared for them by God, he didn't say anything about an election or about a civil magistrate or a leader. He said that one day, with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, that the Son of Man would appear, that the dead in Christ would rise first, but we who are alive and remain wouldn't hinder them. But guess what? We would join them. And we would be forever with Jesus. And that is the comfort, knowing that my citizenship, though on my license it says Mississippi, in the United States, in North America, on earth, 
Though it says that, I am truly, 100%, a citizen of heaven. And that's it. We have hope, no matter what the situation in our nation is. We have hope in Christ. How can we know this? Brother Kelby talked about it not too long ago. For those, those he predestined, he will call, he will justify, he will sanctify, and finally, he will glorify. We will be saved forever and finally. The last one is this. The last application is this. Hold fast to the gospel. Listen to me clearly. Hold fast to the gospel. And this is not just an admonition for Brother Kelby and I as elders of this church to hold fast to the gospel. No, this is for his people too. We never graduate from the gospel. Sean DeMar said that one time on a documentary I was watching and it just blew my mind. We never graduate from the gospel. That is why Kelby and I try our best to present the gospel in some way every service. As you've seen, we build our service to project the gospel. We try to share the gospel in our sermons and in our messages. In our songs, we try to share the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. The church is not the church when we change the gospel or water it down to fit our culture. The church is to preach the gospel as it is the power of God to bring salvation to God's elect. And we are not to alter it to get professions and to fill up our churches and make cool Facebook posts, and to build bigger churches, because we're full now. Brother Kelby and I have been sharing a lot about that recently. Believe the gospel, not a substitute of the gospel. No updates are needed for the gospel. There is no new thing that God is doing. Jesus was the new thing. Jesus was the culmination of God's redemptive story. And now we are the gifts that Christ receives for giving us that redemption. Have you ever thought about that? You are the gift to Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's a wonderful message from our Savior. The men he said this to turned the world upside down with the gospel. And if we can see all the truths here and apply these things to our lives, we can make a difference in our families and in our workplaces and in our church. So believe in Jesus, God the Son, and let not your hearts be troubled. Let's pray.